Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Well, let me tell you about Goal Zero. Goal Zero is the leader in affordable generators and home backup systems. They offer a simple, easy solution for when the power blackouts hit, and they're coming this summer. So you can keep your home up and running using clean energy. Their systems power critical circuits in your home, like the freezer, lights, Wi-Fi, TV, and more, with clean power. No fuel, no fumes, no noise, and no maintenance, unlike gas generators. Not to mention, Goal Zero is portable, so you can take the power on the go as needed for camping, tailgating, and more. They offer a range of products and affordable price points to meet your needs. From power stations that can provide a half day's worth of power to solar generators and home backup systems that can keep you powered for one, two, or even three days. You can easily monitor and manage your power right from your phone with the Goal Zero app. They offer best-in-class service with a U.S.-based service team that provides the highest level of technical and customer support. It's Goal Zero, right, Gary? Make sure your power stays on with Goal Zero. Learn more at GoalZero.com. Check out their affordable power stations, solar generators, and home backup systems today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, in our new issue, we have a big May Sweeps preview, and there is a lot going on around the soap dial. So let's start with Young and the Restless, where Victor is keeping a secret that will rock Genoa City to its core. Uh, Nick's world will turn upside down. We will see Adam return, and Devon and Elena will get closer. Uh, over at Days, Nicole's return and reunion with Eric will be impacted by the search for a kidnapped Holly. Uh, Hope and Rafe's rocky relationship will get even rockier. The results of the mayoral election will have ripple effects on everyone involved in that story. And this one's super interesting. Maggie's fight to stay sober will be tested. Over on General Hospital, we are going to see Jack's return to support his daughter And he will find another reason to stick around while Laura, Kevin, and Ava's scheme to lure Ryan out of hiding tests Laura and Kevin's already fragile marriage. And, of course, the nurse's ball will be packed with musical performances and relationship drama aplenty. Can't wait. Over at B&B, Thomas resorts to manipulation to try to break up Hope and Liam. Steffi will return from Paris as Jacqueline McKinnis Wood wraps up her maternity leave. Brooke and Ridge face a new test, and Katie thinks twice about a future with Bill. Well, so I remember before I worked here, I was always so excited for May Sweeps. I mean, I knew we'd get the big stories and the culmination of what the shows had built in the first part of the year. Um, I don't know that the shows necessarily save their big stories for the months that were considered traditional sweeps anymore, which are February, May, and November, because I feel in some ways we could do a preview in any month and get super strong story now. 
Yeah, I definitely feel that the mandate has changed. And some writers have even said that to me point blank, that uh, as viewing habits have changed, uh, the writers are really expected to deliver sweeps like fireworks every month. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I do think that they put the pedal to the metal a little bit and amp the stakes up for for sweeps. You know, I feel the Friday cliffhanger sort of falls under that same principle now. Um, I once had an exec tell me that they want every day of the week to feel like a Friday so they don't necessarily save their biggest moment for the end of the week either. You know, sometimes you'll see a big reveal on a Tuesday or like Nicole's return to days, for example, happened on a Thursday. Yeah, I think that when soaps did really follow that traditional structure of following up on a Friday cliffhanger on a Monday, building to a new cliffhanger for that Friday, uh, preemptions caused a real interruption in the narrative flow that the shows were going for. And now, while certainly they aren't viewed as desirable, Uh, I don't think that particular concern exists the way it did in the good old days. You know, what's interesting to note about that is that despite all of the other platforms and stations that exist for breaking news and things like, you know, live court cases, they still preempt the soaps. And boy, do we get angry letters and emails about it. You know, I feel the audience that is at home watching soaps just want to watch their soaps. If they want to watch the news in 2019, they are well aware of all the resources that are out there from TV to the web. Here's me. Run a crawl on the bottom of the screen with the most pertinent information, but don't interrupt the shows. You know, especially with so many people watching on DVR these days, which is not like a new thing. Right. Um, what is worse than coming home, kicking up your feet, pressing play, and it's stale, quote unquote, breaking news from the afternoon and not your soap? Uh, nothing. <laughs> like that is a real letdown. Totally. Um, Well, something certainly making headlines this week is the on-air memorial to YNR's late Christoph St. John. You know, the show really took its time to pull together a proper way to honor Neil and his portrayer. And it's been just such an emotional journey for both the actors and the audience. Um, Our guest today is a part of these tribute episodes. It's Tracy Bregman, best known to YNR fans as Lauren Fenmore. So let's get her on the phone to talk about that and her amazing career. Hi, Tracy. Hi, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, well, let's start with, you know, we know it's a really hard week on air and a pretty heavy time for the YNR actors and audience, you know, because the show is addressing the death of Neil and the passing of Christoph St. John. Um, so let's just start with what were those days like on set, you know, taping the funeral and the memorial episode? Well, what happened is when we first all came to do the funeral, um, we were all called on stage, and because all of us were in the first setup, we were all standing on stage, and they said, oh, we're going to do the song first. And we were like, oh, and I didn't remember reading a song, whichever. So we all stood back together with all the crew just offset, and all the producers and writers and there's Neil's casket, a huge picture of Christoph, and then Lauren started singing Amazing Grace. And to say we all lost it even before any of us started taping is an understatement. But it was extraordinary to be standing with my TV family dealing with that. And being together while we listened to that incredible song. It was almost surreal. I bet. My gosh. Um, You know, when you think of Christoph, what do you remember or what stands out to you about him? To have met Christoph, you felt met. I mean, he had just this exuberance about him almost all the time when he would see you in the hall or if he was saying hello or he and I were, he and I used to have like these very deep conversations about life and children and relationships. And I mean, we could talk for hours together and then we could laugh our butts off together as well. But he just had an, an infectious way about him that you just instantly loved him. I think what's so incredible is that so many people say the same thing. Like, the everyone has a consistent description of him. And it just that just says a lot about him, that he was that way 
just in life and yeah. across the board. And I think we were all, we knew there was struggle, but I think we were all so shocked. I never in a million years thought that we would be here talking about this, ever. Do you think waiting to film after, you know, letting time pass made it any easier, if you will, to do it? Well, I, I think it was very respectful to wait a little bit. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, it would have been so hard. I was out of town for his actual funeral. So I didn't have the experience of being with everybody. And so being there for Neil's funeral was my first time with everybody. Mm. And I maybe it had, a, you know, a bigger impact only because it was my first time. Um, but I, I'm glad they waited. I'm glad things were clarified about the way that he went, you know. And um, and then and then we were able to not only bury the character, but truly, you know, let go of Christoph as well. I didn't do well watching yesterday's air show. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but I, I have to say, and I and I texted, you know, our producers and our head writer as well to say what a beautiful job they did. I thought the silence at the end and the beautiful violins. Just, I mean, I, I thought they handled it with such class and dignity. And I'm glad that we all got to mourn Christoph and Neil. I'm glad we all got to do that and we got to do that together. I agree. It's, it's, it's been a very emotional start, but really proper and feels right as hard as it is. No, I, I thank you for letting me talk about it. I'm, sometimes it's hard to to put the right words together, you know, because it, it has been so painful for all of us. Oh, of course. Um, you said it quite beautifully. Um, completely switching topics about yeah. you now. Um, so let's start at the beginning. You were born in Germany, you were raised in England, and then you moved to Los Angeles when you were young. Um, right. So how did you even get into showbiz? You know, my mother was an actress. And when we lived in London, my father was head of BBC Special. So my dad started Verve Records. I, there was always production in my house. I mean, I think starting as early as age five, when all the other women and children were in the kitchen at a party, I would be on my dad's lap playing penny poker with the BBC executives, <laughs> you know. And that was like my first foray into showbiz. You were hobnobbing. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> and and then, you know, I grew up on a set. I was always either sitting next to my dad's cinematographer, um, learning about camera angles and and how he did what he did. In fact, my dad's cinematographer was Gil, who did all the Star Wars movies. So I got to sit wow. next to him from age seven on up, watching him. And then I was always with my dad holding his script um, in edit base till 3 o'clock in the morning and holding his hand at 6 a.m. waiting for network pickups. So I really lived the other side of the camera, which is kind of hard for me to turn off even when I'm working. Um, and my dad started to do a special with this singer from Montreal named Renee Simard. And Renee was like this teen idol in Montreal and this um, huge star there. And my dad put did a special with him and then did his own uh, pilot and series. And it was all kids just slightly older than me singing and dancing. And they were having so much fun. And I'm holding my dad's script thinking, what's wrong with the picture? <laughs> <laughs> So I decided to try it myself, and that's how it started. Were your parents on board? No. Well, my dad was, but my mother was like, absolutely no way. <laughs> and she put me at the Strasbourg Institute, and I would 
then I went to ANTA, which is the American National Academy of Theater Arts, all day Saturdays, and then I started dancing. I really started dancing first. Um, and finally, she said, okay, I had gotten a, an agent, um, and I started in commercials. I was the hand model for Mattel Toys. Oh. Did you get and to keep the toys? No. Can you believe it? No, that's mean. <laughs> that seems very cool. I know. And then I became the Apple Jacks girl. Oh. Uh, for two years. Did right you get to keep the Apple Jacks? <laughs> well, it's so funny. Um, when I was on set, I went, I said, you know, I should at least taste these. And I went to take a bite and the director was like, what are you doing? You shouldn't eat that S. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was so hilarious. Um, but they were delicious. I'll tell you that. Oh, I know. Um, and it's so funny. Every time I've done commercials, there's always been some sort of remark. Um, I was the axe girl for two years, and I went on set in front of the entire advertising company. And I was like, oh, my God, is someone spraying dulling spray? Because I'm very allergic to dulling spray. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is that horrible scent? <laughs> <laughs> and the director said, that's the product. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so <laughs> the fact that they gave me three commercials from there is huge. <laughs> That's what I was just thinking. I'm like, how did you manage to get repeat business in the commercial world? Can you believe that? No. I just, I just have to, like, keep my mouth shut, I guess. But, no, um... Strangely, I did three different commercials that day, and then they shot a whole group of 18-year-olds in little hot Daisy Dukes. And I thought, oh, guess who's going to get bummed from this commercial <laughs> run? <laughs> and and the funny thing is, is that my commercials were very suggestive. Oh. Now, and I, I realize I haven't gone back and finished your question, but uh, I'll just just wrap this part up. My kids, you know, have seen me on soap operas, doing love scenes, do, you know, rolling off the sofas, doing everything you can think of. And they never once said anything. So Axe is for 13-year-old boys. My son, Austin, is 13 at the time. And the commercials are me with a mannequin. I am all by myself with a mannequin. But, like, the mannequin is holding a hammer, and my line is, oh, when you're done with that, I have something you can nail upstairs. I mean, <laughs> I'm really bad. <laughs> and there's, and I, they gave me three different lines. So what happens? They cancel the 18-year-olds, and all three of the lines that I did is everywhere. And my older son looks at me and said, how could you do something so horrible? He was so mortified, and it's the only time in his entire life in my whole career he's ever said that. And I'm like, I'm alone with a mannequin. How bad could that be? That's, That's incredible. Pretty fabulous. Oh, my God. So to go back to what you said about how did I, how did I get my first break, I actually got a, an agent. And my mother said, oh, no, you can only work on school holidays. Well, bright-eyed girl here on the vacation, I called my agent and said, okay, I'm ready to work. And um, it was right around the Christmas holiday. And I got a rush call to go to Columbia two hours later, and that was Days of Our Lives. And my mother only agreed to let me do it because they said, oh, it's only three episodes. So my mom's like, all right, well, that'll be fine. She can go back to school after. And it turned into two and a half years. Wow. So what was that day like? So you rush over to Columbia and what did you do? I auditioned on Friday with um, Wes Kenny. And Wes Kenny said the only reason he hired me joking. I mean, and this is before the Me Too. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was 14, he said, you know, the only reason I hired you is you're the only 14-year-old with boobs. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're supposed to say that to me. And he ended up being such an incredible 
mentor and uh, force in my life because actually when he left to go to Young and Restless before I finished Days of Our Lives, and when I finished Days, I went and um, did a couple of movies up in Canada and came back and had a nighttime series that had just gotten canceled. And he drove up in my driveway and he said, do you ever think about doing another show? And I was like, well, I would only want to do it with you. I'd also talked to Gloria Monty. She'd had me in as well. And um, he said, well, start watching Young and Restless. And I started watching YNR, and I thought it was really great. And then they created the character of Lauren because of what? Wow. All right. Sally Sussman created my character. So much to unpack already. But what do you remember what role you went in for or talked to Gloria about for General Hospital? Yeah, I do. Uh, she talked to me because Jeannie Francis was just leaving. Wow. So you could have been Laura in addition to yeah, Laura. Or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. But I had, you know, I had, it was right in between. I had just done two movies. I, I had just gotten, I had just gotten the, the nighttime series, Second Family Tree for NBC. And I just wasn't sure I wanted to go back to having that, you know, it was in those days, you didn't get out early. I mean, you were there from six in the morning till all the way at the end of the day and and then going home and learning lights, which I ended up doing on Young and Restless for years and years and years until they changed the schedule a little bit. Um, but I... Because I had done this nighttime series, that wasn't wasn't really complete yet. So that's why I said to her, I love your show. In fact, when I was up in Canada shooting, I had to buy a television so I could keep watching it. <laughs> but I'm just not ready to kind of go back into daytime yet. And um, the nighttime series canceled. Wes drove up. And I felt safe with Wes, you know, knowing that Wes was there. And by the way, daytime, as you know, is the best gig in the entire world. Mm-hmm. There isn't a better one. Well, tell us about your day's experience. I played Jed Allen, who just recently passed away, uh, uh, his daughter and Marlena Evans' stepdaughter. Dee, was, Dee and, and Jed really taught me almost everything you can, uh, as to anything about the medium, how to do it, life, Dee, took me under her wing and um, she was just, they were just extraordinary to me. They really, really were. Uh, did you, do you still see Dee from time to time? You run into her at industry things? Yes, I ran into her last year. And it's funny because I think there's no way she's going to recognize me because I don't look anything like I did. And she always does. And I always forget, well, yeah, there's magazines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's seen you. She's seen right, you. exactly. And I'm, <laughs> So I'm not 17 anymore. I was 14 and then 17 when I left. And But, uh, yeah, she does. And, of course, she looks the same. <laughs> yeah, she's gorgeous. Amazing. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, now, Donna was a pretty emotional character. You know, was it was it a lot to, like, play her? Or was it just sort of you were already a teenager, so it kind of just fit in with that? Well, it was weird because, you know, I had never had – I had never kissed a boy in real life. My first kiss was on screen. Wow. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> you know, and I'm I'm doing a teen pregnancy storyline. She tried to kill herself. Um, and it's so funny. Recently, a fan sent me um, a piece of tape, I guess, from one of the Christmas episodes where we're all in it. And I'm telling Jed to tap dance or or entertain the hospital kids, and Deidre's in it. And I haven't seen anything since I did the show. Oh, wow. All those years ago. And it was so unbelievable to watch it. And I sent it to my mom, and she's like, oh, my God. See what you almost didn't let me do long term? (laughs) I said, see what you almost didn't let me do? Right. Um, okay, so now tell us then about coming to Y&R. So what was it like to create a new character? And just what do you remember about Lauren's early years? Well, Lauren was actually written to be Tracy Abbott's best friend. And my first day here, 
I'll never forget, I was panicking. I had like 22 pages of dialogue and a monologue about how I lost my virginity. And Beth was amazing. She showed me everything and was so great to me. And I guess early on, within the first month, Bill Bell was watching rehearsal. And Beth and I were in the coffee shop, and I go to exit. And I guess I turned and I looked at Beth a certain way, and Bill saw it, and that's how the first Mean Girl came to be. That's incredible. Is that is that a good thing or a bad thing? I'm kidding. It was amazing. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, it was hard at times, but it was great. No, I meant what he saw in you that was like, hey, she could she could play mean. Right. And I was like, huh, what the heck was I thinking? You know, or what, what was that look? But he saw it. He saw something in it. That's really and incredible. That. So that really led to this, like, epic storyline between both of you uh, young women and also Mr. Michael Damien as Danny Romilotti. Michael Damien. Yeah, I got really lucky. I mean, honestly, I was only hired for the summer. Again, a short term that turned into, especially now, <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. over 35 years yeah. later, a very yeah. long term. Yeah. Did you know from the get-go, just working with them, that something was really clicking? I just knew that I... I loved it, and um, I, I, there was just something about everyone here. And to this day, I mean, it's, I always say that this is my happy place. I just love the people I get to work with in every capacity. It's a wonderful thing to be able to say. It truly is, after all these years, to be able to walk in this building. And I think all of us who work here, no matter what your job is, everybody leaves their problems at the door to create this, this, you know, this one hour of entertainment. And we all, or most of us, love what we do so much and are so grateful to be here. Well, you mentioned uh, Bill being inspired by some kind of look in your eye back in the day. Um, what are your memories of Bill Bell? Um, Bill used to say to me, you're my lucky penny. And, um, I mean, he really gave me my whole career. And he gave me the opportunity to have children and and work hard, um, but to bring the kids to work. He said to me, I want you to bring your babies to work because then I know your your mind is going to be on your work because you're going to know that the babies are just one door away from you. And I thought, you know, and that was 28 years ago. Bosses didn't do that. And I just had to give him so such props. And I'm sure it had a lot to do with Lee, who I'm sure did the same thing, because she's such an extraordinary mother. And to have the opportunity to be the kind of mother that I wanted to be and to be able to do what I loved at the same time and not feel like I was not giving one of those things my all was an incredible experience and to be supported by my workplace in it. Yeah. It's a, you don't get that. And then Brad did the same thing for me when I had landed on Bold and Beautiful. That's a lot. I mean, that really is. They're just the impact the family as a whole has had on daytime, never mind your life so specifically, is really incredible. It, it is. I mean, and when I was on Bold and Beautiful, you have to remember, I don't know what was in the water over there. Hunter was pregnant, and Catherine Kelly Lang was pregnant. We were all pregnant at the same time. Well, that must have been fun. It was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) And we all had our dressing rooms together, and we were like, we just need a baby gate across the way so that the kids could go back and forth, because they had girls. I I had the only boys at the time. I mean, really, how many, how many people can say that at work, just that your kids are there, that you're you know, working and happy and it's, it's a lot, you know, it's just wonderful. It's incredible. And my boys will tell you, they grew up here. They're as much a part of, of these stages as I am. Mm-hmm. Um, now another big relationship for Lauren was with Paul. So talk yeah. about your relationship with his portrayer, Doug Davidson, and what you remember about that pairing. Oh, well, <laughs> Doug, I love Doug so much, but 
I can detect a glint in his eye, and that can make me laugh so hard I can barely talk. Um, they used to call us the instigators. <laughs> and we were just attached to the hip the whole time. And it was such an extraordinary relationship on camera and off camera. We were such great friends. And honestly, he and his wife had just had a baby before I had Austin. He was better than talking to the doctor or any of my girlfriends. <laughs> he, ta- he got me straight through the whole thing, and I only had a one-week maternity leave with Austin. And, what? That's crazy. Yeah. And, I mean, do you remember they replaced me? Yes, very briefly. But, and, yes. And I begged them. I said one of two things. Either I said, you have the time to let me bank all the shows, or let the girl who's replacing me stay with me and and let her, you know, let me help her through this transition and let me work as much as I up until a point where I can and then she can take over. And they're like, no, 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 we're replacing you and this is the date that you're off. So I should say that they gave me 10 days off prior to having the baby and then a week once I had him. And um, I was like, all right, okay. And I'll never forget, I was at the hospital less than 24 hours after I gave birth to Austin. I was walking through the front door and the phone was ringing. And it was Nancy Wire, our producer, saying, we need you to come back now. And I'm like, I, I haven't even put the baby down. <laughs> and they're like, no, you got to come back. And I was like, oh, boy, okay. And um, so I did. And Doug got me through that. And, um, no, I had a very publicized uh, miscarriage prior to having Austin. And Doug literally got me through that. We we laughed. We cried together. You know, I, I mean, he and I have had such an extraordinary relationship on and off camera, as I said earlier, you know. Um, there are two people that I've worked with that literally can slay me with one, one look and that's Doug and the other one's Christian. (laughs) And it was a very heavy storyline at the time because it was the setup right to the baby switch storyline with Sheila. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I'm, I'm not sure why they chose not to bank shows, which we had done in the past or what, but you know, we all got through it. And you know, and you know who was in my dressing room? Who? You know who was in my dressing room? Because my mom couldn't get Austin to take the bottle. Jeannie Cooper. Oh. Jeannie Cooper got my mom and my baby through my first day back, and Doug Davidson got me through it on stage. Those are unbelievable memories to have. Completely. Um, so we talked about uh, the story with Sheila and the baby switch and, uh, you know, Kimberlyn Brown joining the show and into your storyline, which was a real game changer. Yeah. Um, so what was that like for you to play? You know, just the whole story, the presumed death of the baby, the rivalry with Sheila. And well, were you what did you think of how it took off and the response from the audience? Yeah, well, I always got the crazies. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I had like Sean Garrett, remember? Yes, who, uh, yes. Buried, buried you alive. You alive. <laughs> yep, right. So I rude. Say a year on Young and Restless without duct tape is just not a good year. <laughs> <laughs> and, and me being duct tape, I'm always duct tape something. And and then there was Lynn, uh, Brad Carlton's ex-wife. Yes. Uh, who put us in a cage. Yep. In Lake Tahoe. And and then there was this Sheila. Now, I was, just to give a, I'm sorry for another birth story, but I'm in the middle of full-on labor, and one of the nurses knocked on my door and said, I said, who is it? And she's like, it's Sheila. <laughs> I'm, I'm in, like, transition. I'm getting ready, right? And I'm like, Sheila? <laughs> I hate to tell you, it was sort of the last thing on my mind. (laughs) But when she did that and she was joking because she was such a huge YNR fan, (laughs) I would not let that baby out of my sight. Of course. 
They were like, okay, we're taking the baby to weigh it. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> not without me. <laughs> Time and a place, nurse. <laughs> yeah, don't you think? I'm like, do you, I, that wasn't the time to like really get into it because she was my labor nurse. <laughs> I needed her. But I was like, wow, I would have rewritten that scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, so wait, you, you mentioned your um, time on The Bold and the Beautiful, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I'd love to hear about, you know, what you remember about that and working with Ian Buchanan and John McCook. Oh, well, you know, so Susan Flannery was the Lucy to my Ethel. Right. Oh. We were so close working together. We, and of course, how do you not love John McCook and Ian, of course, uh, McCookie and I had so much fun and I guess one of my best memories is, I don't know why I'm going through all this pregnancy stuff, but I was pregnant with Landon and I think McCook gained pound for pound what I did. <laughs> <laughs> and like my first day back, I couldn't believe it. They have us in the steam room. I'm like, mother. <laughs> and, um, so Catherine and Ron Moss are on before us. And I mean, Catherine's like in hate, like what I called two quarters and a buck. I mean, like naked. <laughs> and, you know, Ron is like stunning. Uh, and then they finish their scenes and on comes McCook and me. I mean, uh, we tried to wear as many towels <laughs> <laughs> At one point, I mean, literally, John McCook was wearing one as a scarf. We were <laughs> laughing so hard. Like, why would America want to see this? <laughs> give us, like, three months. <laughs> yeah, give give John the time to work off your pregnancy. Yes, he needed time to work off the pregnancy when he ride the baby weight. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, my God. We all used to have so much fun together, and we had um, a dinner group with Ian and Susan and John McCook and Rhonda Friedman. And once a month, we would um, take all of us on uh, adventures. And it was up to, we, it, you know, like John had to do one, Susan Flannery had to do one, then I had to do one. And we, that's, we just loved being together. It was really extraordinary. And Love you were that. in the same studio where you were filming, where you had filmed YNR. Right. So I'm across the hall, and I always considered um, YNR my family, and um, and B and B the cousins that I love so much. Well, so then, what did it mean to you to return to YNR? I, you know, I was so grateful because I loved it. Um, I was sorry that that B&B came to an end because I I had a great time there. But to come back to YNR, you know, was everything to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when she came back, she was involved with Paul and his new love interest, Isabella, played by Eva Longoria. So tell us what Eva was like to work with. Oh, my God. She was great. She is like the greatest laugh of all time. And I'll never forget my first day back. I'm doing a scene with Doug, and I'm being flirty with him again. And Eva walks on set, looks at the two of us, and says, what's going on here? And I'm like, did she not read the script? (laughs) As if she was, like, very upset. Like, really? This is my man. What are you doing? And it was so cute. And even I became friends and we're friends to this day. Wow, that's great. Um, and now you mentioned Lauren's other great love and someone who makes you laugh, which is Christian LeBlanc. So uh, now Lauren and Michael really are one of the longest running marriages in soaps at this point. Um, What do you remember about the early days of working with Christian? Did you know that they were headed for this real long-term coupledom? Well, you know, we had to twist their arms. Oh, really? We wanted to work together. And Jack Smith just did not think that was the right pairing at all. And 
we were doing the storyline with Greg Rickart uh, being infatuated with me, and the reason that Christian and I were even working together is because the two of us were trying to get Kevin help. So Christian and I decided, even when they said no, we're like, fine. We are just going to play sex no matter what we're talking about. You know, pass assault, sex, 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 you know. And then, and then we kept begging Jack, and he finally did it. And then he wrote us the most beautiful story of falling in love. He really did. It was, you know, and, and Lauren and Michael's engagement and how we got together and then we had to hide the fact that we were together because we didn't want to hurt Kevin. And then we felt like we needed to break up because Kevin wasn't doing well mentally. And then how we then were able to get back together. It was really beautiful. And, you know, as TV spouses go, you did, you did pretty well for yourself. Oh, my God. I hit the co-star lottery. <laughs> completely mm-hmm. with all these guys. I've been so lucky. So in the mid-2000s, you got to do one of the big soap staples, which was play a dual role. Tell us about that. Right. I got to play Lauren. I played Sarah Smythe. And then I had to play Sarah Smythe trying to be Lauren. So it was like three separate characters that I had to keep straight. And our producer at the time, Paul Rausch, decided on the first day I was to play twins, where I had 27 scenes in a row with myself, that there was going to be no camera blocking. We were going straight to tape. <gasps> okay, I was then. like, oh, my God. So not stressful at all? Uh, not stressful. I mean, and it's very interesting when you've spent your whole life learning scenes for one character where you have to learn the scene one way and then you have to learn it the other way with mm-hmm. the other character. And then you have to play it together. And then the girl who decide who they, who they hired, who you had to give her props just for learning the amount of dialogue. Cause I mean, the amount of dialogue was, I, I couldn't go anywhere on the weekend. I spent two Saturday and Sunday stuck to a chair learning lines all weekend. And uh, it was the only way to, to get through it. And the only problem was the girl that they hired, she was great with the lines, but she decided to do her own take on <laughs> the character. And I'm like, if you could just just say the lines. You honestly don't need to give me anything. So I guess she just, you know, and believe me, we were all under duress. So we all were doing whatever we could. She just couldn't get it. She just wanted to do it her own way. So then I had to remember how I did it and try and react. I mean, I I don't know how Peter did it for as long as he did. I did it for six weeks and it's pretty overwhelming. It it was pretty overwhelming. I was glad I got the opportunity though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Short term. (laughs) That's the way to do it. Short term. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, another uh, big development that sticks out to me in Lauren's life came with the reveal that she and Jill are half-sisters. Um, oh, yeah. so tell me about your relationship with Jess Walton. Oh, well, how do you not love her so much? She is just an exceptional human being. And at first, she was like, how are we sisters? <laughs> and for me, you know, in being this in this medium this long, I don't always look for the logic. I just look for the story. You know, well, is this going to be fun to play? All right. You know. It's probably the best approach. Yeah. I'm not going to question a lot. If it gives me something to do and I have fun doing it, I'm just going to have a good time. And if there's duct tape tape involved, so much the better. Hello? (laughs) Yes. So so, um, I just thought Maria wrote us such a great story of being contentious and when we did the scenes where she and Tristan were having sex underneath my desk oh my god between that and shoving her into an open grave that, those were like two of the most iconic moments ever. <laughs> <laughs> and so she calls me little sis in real life and I call her sissy because 
that she'll always be my sister. Oh, sweet. That's so sweet. Um, now Doug Davidson is back on the show and Greg, Greg Rickhart is returning. Um, I know the gang's back together again. Yeah. What's it like? How would you describe sort of the mood on set with all these happy returns? Well, everyone's so happy. We have Tony Marina as our EP, Josh Griffith back as EP and head writer. So we're just, we're just really happy. Everyone's really happy to be here. And I mean, to, to have Doug and Greg, you know, Greg and I are very close off camera and to have us all together is just, it's just amazing. Can't get better. Um, now something that was difficult for you to go through, uh, last November, um, with the fires and losing your house. I mean, the story that you gave to Devin Owens was just heartbreaking. Um, tell us how you've been doing and just sort of what that experience has been like for you. You know, it's um, not one I would wish on anybody. Um, it's the ultimate letting go, that's for sure. Um, I try not to let um, the trauma of it get me down because I really believe in any situation you have two ways to handle things. You either move beyond it and keep going or it can take you down. And honestly, no matter what kind of emotion, uh, what I could say, what I could do, none of that is going to bring any of those things back or what happened back. So I always try and look for the gift in everything and the lesson and, um, you know, the insurance is a bit of an issue. Um, uh, that has not been great. If that had been easier, um, it probably, the whole experience would have been easier. I'm still in the midst of fighting, um, which is a real bummer. But um, I, what I've come away from it with is, A, I've lost my attachment to things. And even though my attachment and when I talk about the things that were lost are not, I'm not talking about the shallow, oh, I had a purse, I had a, you know, I, that is all replaceable. Um, it's, you know, it's like someone erased my past. I kept every card from my mother, from my ex-husband, from my kids, every card my kids have ever written me, all their baby books, their pictures, my grand, all of my grandmother's legacy and all of my father's memorabilia was that that's the stuff that kind of is the stinger. But I, I'll tell you, I just don't have attachment to things anymore. And um, I, how I'm trying to twist it in my head is I'm now going to build something really beautiful and um, something that I've always wanted to have the opportunity to do to build with a, just a, a, a clean slate. So it, it's, been, it's been a road. It's been a road. I'm just in the first six months of what's going to be probably a three-year process. Yeah, it's, it's really, really remarkable, Tracy, that you're able to go through this with this kind of grace and uh, ability to look for the lesson instead of wondering why me. You know what I mean? Well, I will tell you, you know, I wasn't alone in this. There were so many people were affected. So many people lost their house. I mean, I had a mammogram yesterday and the woman doing my mammogram said, you know, I lost my house too. And I went to another store and a woman said, yeah, I was in paradise. I was in the paradise fire. So, so many people. So anytime I ever feel like, Oh, God, you know, how can I? How can I when so many people were affected and so many of my close friends? So we hold each other high and, you know, hold each other's hands. And I personally try and do whatever I can to help those who maybe didn't have insurance, help raise funds, raise money, help any way I can. I thought what was really beautiful was that the you had mentioned that the Y&R um, – 
crew found your father's, um, was it his records, and got them for you? Yes, our writing staff. I, I mean, literally, you could have just pushed me over with a feather. I was so stunned that they went and bought as many albums as they could find of my dad's. It was such a thoughtful gift. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's t- and and so many people showed up. You know, Michelle Stafford. She knows me well because she knew if she had called me and said, "Okay, what can I do? When can I come?" I would have said, "I'm fine." She literally called me. She said, "I'm standing in front of the apartment. I was staying with my son in his apartment after." With my children, so she knew I couldn't turn her away. I was like, Damn, she used a kid cart, <laughs> and I have ice cream. And I was like, "Oh God!" And she just showed up with her arms full, just her arms full of stuff. And you know, every everything that people did from my boyfriend's cousin sending clothes, my friend April Light of uh, LNA, and my boyfriend's cousins are Lauren Moshi. Um, they sent me boxes because I, I literally had very little. I mean, I had to go buy underwear. I know, TMI, but honestly. No, but those uh, are the things people probably don't think about that, of course, you don't the, have. Literally the essentials. Right, exactly, exactly. And uh, what I tried to do is when I was replacing things, I tried to buy them from all my friends' stores and support everybody. I, I tried, you know, whatever I could in whatever way to give back. Mm-hmm. Well, Mara is like literally wiping <laughs> tears during, <laughs> during this conversation. Um, but it really is amazing. And it's just to see you so strong and able to talk about it the way you are um, just says a lot about your own, you know, strong spirit. So it's very impressive. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, now, last year you celebrated the 35th anniversary of your YNR debut, which is just an unbelievable milestone. Um, so, what does it mean to you to have called this show home for most of your professional life? It's it's just the greatest gift ever. It really is. I drive into the parking lot like I did this morning, as excited to get to work as I was the very first day all those years ago. And and it's hard for me to believe that it's been that many years. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> uh, but also thrilling that, you know, I have been able to call this place home for this many years. And we hope it will be for many more. Indeed. Thank you. Me too. I, I just very lucky not only to work with who I work with, but to have incredible magazine like yours were so supportive of all of us. Oh, thank you. I mean, you 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 all make it very easy. It's just going to say that. Like <laughs> truly we just appreciate the cooperation and the cooperation through the years. I mean, Mar and I tend to go up to our photo room and just look through the archives. We have the most amazing shoots of you and your kids and of you and Kimberlyn and just, you know, years and years of just amazing treasures. Yeah, and that we thank have you so much also for sending me pictures after the fire. I really appreciate that. Um, It was really the least we could do. So anyway, thank you. And thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of your stories. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to talk to you. Talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. you. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Tracy Bregman for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast.